everybody. My name is Ryan. If we haven't met, I'd love to meet you sometime. And whoever you are and whatever your story is, wherever you've come from, whatever you've gone through, uh, I'm really glad that you're here tonight. And I'm glad to be here uh, right now on this carpet, and I'm glad to be talking to you. Part of that is because it's been one of those weeks. I've talked to some of the others of you that have had those weeks, you know, where life seems to be going chaotic. And being here on this carpet somehow feels peaceful, it feels right. And I'm also excited to talk to you because I love to talk about our city and that's what we get to talk about tonight. So I'm really excited about that and I've been looking forward to that. Uh, we're, we've been, as Jason said, we've been kind of in this identity series looking at what does it mean for us to be us. A couple years ago, or a couple of weeks ago when I talked, uh, I talked about my daughter Sophie riding her bike. Right? And as you learn, as you're trying to go straight for something, sometimes you need to look ahead, you need to look down the road, you need to have a focus point to think about so that you don't end up swerving off one way or another. And that's what we're doing in this series, is saying what does it mean to be us and what do we focus on? So tonight, uh, we're taking our phrase and we've got a community of grace and peace and tonight we're saying for our city, for our city. Uh, as I started thinking about what I would share with everybody tonight, I started thinking through uh, all these uh, great ways that we can love our city uh, that we could just talk about tonight. Um, but I was, as I was thinking through that, and as I was uh, beginning to plan through that, there was just something that kept striking me, and it was just this nagging reminder that there's a reason we have to tell ourselves to focus on things and identity statements, right? We have to focus on things. Uh, do we have a microphone? All right. We're Let's see how that goes. Is that better? All right. There we go. Ah, uh, where was I? Oh, yeah. Uh, Things are in identity statements and statements like that because uh, they're challenges to us at times, right? We don't have to put things into identity statements that come naturally or come easy. If I'm making a, a goal statement for my week, I don't have to tell myself that one of my goals is to eat lunch every day. Uh, that's something that like, I am passionate about and is going to happen <laughs> no matter what because that's who I am, right? Uh, so if there's things that I put down on my goal sheet, it's because I see that there's something challenging about them, something that's not going to happen unless I put intentional effort and intentional focus into them. So as we talk about uh, being for our city, I want us to start with the fact that the, the, the whole point that we're talking about this means that we're admitting that there's some challenges to the idea of being for our city. And you may say, I can think of all kinds of challenges uh, to loving our city I mean, just as we look at our city, right? If we're honest, our city deals, ha has some crime problems at times. There's times where our city doesn't always feel the safest. Our schools have some challenges. Our neighborhoods, some of them are run down and in our disrepair or in chaos. In our city, we have panhandling going on. We have tent cities that pop up. And worst of all, we have Michigan fans. <laughs> so many challenges to loving our city. I'm just kidding. And somehow, sometimes this is how we see the city, right? We look out and we see all these challenges that are going on, and we see those as challenges to loving the city well. 
But what if the challenges to loving our city well weren't challenges with the city, but challenges inside of us? What if that's where the core of the challenges rested? I want us to look at the story tonight of Jesus and the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's in your insert from Luke 10. Uh, and uh, let's just look at the lesson there because the lesson there I think is that lesson that the challenges that we see and loving those around us aren't necessarily challenges with them, but challenges in us. Let's start reading just verses 25 through 29. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. He said, teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replied, well, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? And the man answered, uh, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he then asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? All right, so the, the guy is coming to Jesus, and he's starting to try and ask him questions. He's asking uh, what it takes to earn eternal life, and Jesus says that we need to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and then we also need to love our neighbor as ourselves. And you would expect the next question that comes from that is, okay, so if I have to love my neighbor as myself, how do I do that? How do I love my neighbor? But that's not the question that comes, right? The question that comes from the man isn't how do I love my neighbor? The question is, and who is my neighbor? So they're not looking for how do we love at this point. They're looking for who qualifies, who are the people that I have to love? If you're telling me I have to love my neighbor, uh, let's nail down exactly who it is so that I know exactly what I'm facing, exactly what I'm up against. And there was some debate going on at the time among the teachers of the law. So you had the conservative teachers of the law, and they said that who our neighbor was for the people of Israel uh, was other fellow Israelites, right? So the conservative people said, hey, your neighbor is those people that are just like you, those other fellow Israelites. So when God tells us to love our neighbor, he's just talking about loving those people, right? But then there was the, the liberal teachers of the law that they were getting really progressive and pushing things forward. And the liberal teachers of the law said, no, it's not just about loving fellow Israelites. We have to love fellow, fellow Israelites and those friendly people who also live in the land of Israel. Like those are the other people that we have to love. So that was the really like progressive pushy side of things, right? Uh, and so when the man comes to Jesus and he starts asking him these questions, this is the question he's saying. He's saying, uh, who is it that exactly that I am required by the law to love? Do I just love my friends or do I also have to love these neutral, friendly people as well? Who is it that I'm required to love? He's asking the question. He's saying, how hard or how easy is this going to be for me, Jesus? You're telling me to love my neighbor. Which neighbor? I need to know which ones because that's going to determine how difficult this is for me. How difficult of people are we talking about here, Jesus? That's the question that he comes to Jesus with. And Jesus tells this story. He tells the story of the Good Samaritan. The story of the Good Samaritan is about an Israelite who is on a trip. Now, it's funny that he's on a trip because for these people, location was an issue and the question, who is my neighbor? So already you have a guy who is outside of his neighborhood, outside of his hometown, and that is the story Jesus tells when starting to talk to us about what it means for us to be a neighbor. So a man is on a trip, and on his trip, he ends up being robbed and he's left hurt uh, beside the road 
uh, not able to take care of himself and not able to get himself to a healthy place. And while he's laying there hurt on the side of the road, he ends up being passed by first one man and then another. And the men he's passed by in this story, uh, which you can read in the verses there, we won't dive into it. The men he's passed by are people that would be obviously in the neighbor camp, right? He's passed by a priest and he's uh, passed by somebody else who works in the temple. So these are people that we would expect to be people who would be taking care of you. If you're in trouble, it's the kind of person that you you would expect you could call with your first phone call and they'd be there for you. And these people wander by him. And then the the third man comes along and the third man that comes along that actually helps him is somebody who is not an Israelite. So that settles that problem. He is not even someone who is in Israel, uh, in the the land of the Israelites because he's traveling on the road. Um, And he's not friendly to Israel. He's a Samaritan or as it says in the passage, a despised Samaritan. So the guy who helps is somebody who, uh, for reasons we'll not get into tonight, everybody kind of had bad feelings towards and nobody really liked very much. And that is the man who stops to help them. And Jesus closes the story with this question in verses 36 and 37. He says this, he says, now which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. And the man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. So the interesting question is the man comes to, the interesting thing is the man comes to Jesus and he says, hey, Jesus, who is my neighbor? Who is it that I have to show love to? Who is my neighbor? And Jesus responds to him at the end of the story and he responds with a different question. He doesn't tell him who is your neighbor. He says, who was a neighbor? Who acted like a neighbor? He twists it from who is my neighbor being the question we're asking. Instead of saying who is my neighbor, we should be asking the question, am I acting like a neighbor? It goes from the issue being a challenge about them to a challenge about us and who we are and what's in our hearts. Jesus changes everything around What he's saying is, regardless of what is out there, the issue starts with us. Let's consider that as we think what it means to be for our city. Are we good neighbors? Is that who we are? The city is what it is. What kind of people do we choose to be in the midst of that? Tonight, I want us to examine some of the obstacles that might keep us from loving our city well. What are some of the things that might keep us from being good neighbors? And as I share these things, first of all, I want you to know these are things that, um, that I've wrestled with and or wrestle with each of these. These are things that I experience in my life. I want to talk about these challenges because I think they're real. And I think that if we don't talk about them, we get caught up in them too easily. But what I don't want is I don't want us uh, heaping guilt and shame on ourselves for areas that we simply need to grow in for areas that we simply need God to transform our hearts. So let's talk about these things because it's important and we need to, uh, but let's do it with an attitude of expecting that God will do some work in us. One of the first obstacles I think for us in our hearts to loving other people well is our personal biases, our personal biases. One interesting thing is one of the things that kept the people of Israel from embracing Jesus when he came was where he was from. He was from a town called Nazareth, 
There was nothing like bad or horrible about the town, but it was just a small town. It wasn't known for anything great. And as Jesus started doing some of his first early work, uh, people were starting to get really excited and feeling like they were seeing the work of God in a new and fresh way. And so they started going and telling their friends what they saw. But as they were going out, we see stories of people going out and telling their friends, hey, you got to come see this guy, Jesus, who's doing these things. And this guy, Jesus from Nazareth. And the response they were getting often was like, what are you talking about? Nothing good can come from Nazareth. Just based on where he was from, people already had ideas about who he was and what he was capable of doing. There was biases inside of people that formed how they were able to think and how they were able to process. So the question for me, for us tonight, is when it comes to loving our city, do you have any biases that may be complicating that call? Do you have any biases in your heart or in your life that may make it hard to be for the city? I was talking to a friend a couple weeks ago I was super excited about all the things going on, all the developments going on downtown, all the, 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 the great things going on in the city right now. And as I was telling him, he just said, no, 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 I don't believe it. No, that, that's not happening here. This city's dead. Like, you're crazy. I was like, man, it's in the newspaper. Like, read the newspaper. And he's like, well, you know, they could say that that's going on, but I'm not going to believe it until ground is broken, right? Like, until they're actually, you know, pushing dirt around. I was like, it's happening. Like, they're already doing that. And he's like, oh, yeah, well, well, still, like, even once they get done, like, nobody will move into those places, that they're doing in the end, right? It's like whatever, whatever evidence was there, there was something inside of him that wasn't allowing him to embrace anything other than what he had decided in his mind already. Sometimes we have biases inside of us that make it hard to love. There's other biases too that affect us in different ways. Perhaps it's racial bias. That's something that we deal with or socioeconomic bias, cultural bias, or other types of ways that we see ourselves separated from others. Uh, racism isn't always hatred, right? Sometimes it's just something inside of us that causes us to have pessimism or fear. Sometimes it's a bias that shows up in other ways that hold us back from loving the way that we want to love. It's honestly been a part of my story, realizing the biases that I had in my life. I grew up in a really sheltered environment where everybody was the same. Like everybody in my family was the same, everybody in my neighborhood was the same, everybody in my high school was the same, and all throughout schools, everybody was the same. And so I didn't hate anybody who was different than me, but I had fear and anxiety about people who were different than me at times. And that was something that if I am going to love well, I had to start the process of working through some of those things. And just to be honest, honestly, about those things in my life so that we can move forward. So I want to take an action step right now. You just sit and you can ask God or uh, if you're not comfortable with that, just reflect on this in silence for a minute. What biases might exist in me that I need to surrender so that I can love this city well? What biases might exist in me that I need to surrender so that I can love the city well? Just think about that for a second.
Uh, that's something I encourage you to keep asking yourself over time and asking yourself uh, in times of prayer and thought um, because sometimes we can't see that on our own and we need God to reveal those things in our life if we're going to see them. And sometimes those things happen because of the second challenge, uh, that the second challenge to loving our city well, uh, which is sometimes our biases happen as a result of distance, distance between ourselves and others. Sometimes the distance in our life is accidental or sometimes the distance between us and others is just a result of circumstances of where we happen to live or where we work or what the schedule of our life looks like. And sometimes the distance between us and others is intentional. I mean, there's some people, my paths just don't cross in life, right? I'm a busy person, other people are busy people, we live in different places, and there's just some people that we don't come into contact with. But there might also be people that you look in your life that your paths don't cross because we make sure our paths don't cross. We make sure we stay distant and separate for self-protection or other reasons. But distance keeps us from empathy, and empathy keeps us from love. This is the story of God, that God took on flesh. We call it the incarnation, that God came to be human with us. I love how the message puts it in John 1.14. It says, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. God came close to us. God got rid of the distance between us. And we see the results of that in Hebrews 4 uh, when it tells us that it's important that God did that because, because he did that, we have somebody who's been through the things that we've been through. And as a result of that, we have a God who has empathy. He gets it. He understands us. God shows us love and the empathy he has because of the closeness he has because he's walked through the things that we've walked through. Distance goes away and empathy comes. The truth is we see people differently when we get close to them. Permission to be uh, more honest in potentially harmful, embarrassing ways to myself in my past. <laughs> um, I see this in my life, that I've seen situations differently as I get close to them. I look at my past growing up and just the culture I was raised in, and even into my early years as a pastor, um, I looked at the issue of people dealing with addiction. And I just had so much distance to anybody going through that stuff. My world, again, was sheltered, and I didn't, didn't have any of that. And so as I looked at people going through addiction in earlier years of my life, I saw people, and I, I just thought it was this, I don't know, lack of self-control or this desire for wild living or something. And the solution for them was like, you know, I'll pray for you, and you just need to, you know, let go and let God, and everything will be better you know, if you can just do those things. And then I fell in love with someone battling addiction, my wife, Robin. Uh, and there were many nights uh, early in our marriage where uh, there was just nights full of tears and prayer for healing together. We went to many AA meetings together, even while I was a pastor, and we were going to AA meetings together and other recovery groups together and just longing for God to bring healing in that situation. And I sat in those meetings hearing her and her stories, uh, hearing the stories of the other men and women in these groups, and it just became so clear to me how easily that could have been me and how badly I had misunderstood or how poorly I had loved them because of my distance. I didn't know how to love those battling addiction until my distance was removed a bit. 
I think of the same thing in my relationships with people in the LGBT community. Early in my life and childhood and ministry, uh, I saw people uh, who were gay and lesbian um, as people who wanted to be different or who were somehow caught up in a political agenda. And I just believed that they needed to just submit to God and pray it away and everything would be better. And then I had a friend who we would be praying together and he started telling me his story of how he was tormented every day as a child, not wanting to be different from the other kids and wondering why he was. He's telling me how he prayed constantly for years upon years, all throughout the day, that God would take this away from him and not knowing why things were remaining the same. Here was a man who was not anything like the caricature I had formed in my head through my distance. And I knew he walked closer to God than I did, and I was a pastor. I didn't know what to do with that. I didn't know what it meant. But what I did know was that until it was no longer a distant issue, I had no clue what loving my LGBT neighbors could even look like. I had to remove the distance if I was going to love people well. Uh, finally, moving into my neighborhood in Keller Park, it, it was a neighborhood that I loved dearly. Uh, There's a lot of people dealing with a lot of challenges in the neighborhood, and it became easy to love the children that were my neighbors. They were over at our house, uh, at the houses of others in the community, and they were always wanting care and attention. And you know, so we would do tutoring nights with the kids and game times and play basketball. And we do all these things with the kids, and it was easy to love the kids well. Uh, but I started feeling a uh, anger or frustration in my heart towards the parents because I would hear the stories of the kids and hear what they're going through, just realize how hard it was for me to connect with the parents when the kids were there wanting so much and realizing the parents weren't able to always do the things the kids perhaps needed. So I felt this frustration towards the parents until one day uh, one of the girls that we were close to, one of the kids that I'd seen since she was childhood, a 15-year-old girl, ended up getting pregnant. And the dad was this 14-year-old kid that I'd seen grown up that we'd care for and we, we had compassion for and we loved this kid. And I remember when the baby came, I heard someone else make a comment about some shortcoming they saw and how they weren't parenting properly or something. And I just got angry. I was like, you don't even know. You don't know these kids. You don't know uh, how they've worked so hard at, at their tutoring, e even though they were putting all this effort in by themselves. You don't know the steps they've taken. You don't know the prayers they've prayed. You don't know what they've been through. How can you criticize them as parents? And then I realized it was me that I was doing the same thing. The results was that I realized that age does not solve problems, but love might. And I began to see the parents in my neighborhood differently than I had before. But if I had never moved into that neighborhood, if I had never met those families and those kids and those parents, I never would have known how to love them. I never would have had empathy for what they're going through or be able to walk through life with them. Distance becomes an obstacle to love. As a church, if we're gonna love our city well, we have to eliminate the distance wherever we can. 
get rid of the distance. This is why we do some of the things we do. This is why we're moving into Studebaker 112. We want to be in that neighborhood, caring for the people who live and work in that neighborhood. That's important to us. We're trying to eliminate the distance there. That's why we go bowling and hang out with people and get to know them, not for any like thing we accomplish in that time, but to get rid of the distance so we can have relationship, so that we can love people well. If we're gonna be for the city, we're gonna love through forming relationships. Who might you be led to draw near to? Who might you be, have God stirring in you to draw near to someone? I wanna offer a disclaimer. Uh, me saying this and talking about distance, it doesn't mean that every one of you who lives outside of the city like needs to move inside the city. <laughs> okay, hear that? Um, I think there's a lot of people that I'm amazed that I've met in this church to see how you are drawing near to people, how you're removing distance between people, even in other ways besides moving into neighborhoods. And there will never be second-class citizens in this church community, okay? So hear that. But also know this, like if you've known me for any length of time, I'm gonna try and convince you to move into the city. <laughs> I, I am, and you're just gonna have to, to have grace with me for that because that might be something that God might be placing on your heart to consider doing. And that certainly would be an act of drawing near and getting rid of the distance between us and others. The final obstacle I wanna talk about is limited vision when we don't see things very clearly. In Luke 7, there's a story of Jesus. He's out eating with a teacher of the law. And as he's out eating with a teacher of the law, this woman breaks in this door, the, the woman of uh, questionable reputation. And she comes in and she starts treating Jesus' feet with perfume and then her tears and then her hair. And it's this act of love and respect and what she's doing for him. And as she's doing this, the teacher of the law looks at Jesus and he's like, what's going on with you? He's like, don't you know who she is? Don't you know what kind of person you're allowing to do this? And Jesus' response to him started with, do you see this woman? It's basically like, man, are you blind? Look at what is going on here. Look at this, here you have a woman who has come in here, who is seeking me, who is seeking God, who is reaching out to me with great love and great sacrifice, and you're so stuck on these other things, you're so stuck on these challenges that you're missing the goodness of what is going on right here and right now. If we're gonna love people well, sometimes we have to move past our limited vision that gets stuck in some areas and keeps us from seeing the fuller goodness of what God is doing. Sometimes it's hard to love our city because we've lost the ability to see the surprising goodness. Man, I did not think there was much here in this city when I first moved here, but now I can't stop talking about all the things going on. Did you know up on Portage Avenue, uh, there is an auto mechanic shop that has been in the family for years and now it's the brothers that are running it? And these people, I've been there, and I'll see old ladies pull up with windshield wipers. They just bought it Martin's and don't know how to put on, and they will walk out there and they'll put on windshield wipers for free. And I've seen them uh, put time into people's car uh, and then tell them to come back and pay them when they can. 
I've seen them uh, cheat me and my friends multiple times by so undercharging us for something that I've, I had a friend who went one time, he's like, you guys can't do this. And he just went over to Martin's and he bought them a case of beer and was like, uh, let me give you this if I can't pay you more money for the work that you're doing. That's, that auto shop keeps that neighborhood employed by making sure people don't miss work by their cars breaking down without being able to take care of it. It's phenomenal. Did you know that out on the west side, out, if you drive western out, uh, heading out west, that there's a, an ice cream shop out there called La Rosita that has some of the best ice cream in the city? And you can even get this crazy ice cream that has, like, hot peppers in it and stuff like that. Like, it's intense, and it's amazing, and it's spectacular. Did you know that our city has at least two free coffee shops that are in neighborhoods that are pay-it-forward coffee shops that just take whatever donations you have, and in fact, they can't, uh, uh, one of them, like, does, or they don't have prices listed because you just give what you feel uh, like you want to give. So the local cup is up in the near northwest neighborhood on Portage, and then you have the well, which is in the River Park neighborhood, uh, which both of those are fantastic places. If you look them up, they have some funky hours, so don't just go there whenever and expect them to be open, but it's really great these places that are going on and doing that. Did you know that there's a South Bend Table Tennis Club in town? Did anybody know this? No, seriously. South Bend Table Tennis Club, and they meet out at the Beacon, and the coach of the South Bend Table Tennis Club was the head of USA Table Tennis. Don't call it ping pong. The head, <laughs> the head of US, Team USA Table Tennis was one of the top players in the world back in the day, and the current top Team USA table tennis player, was one of his students from South Bend, who is now one of the top players. He's moved on, from, but he started here. And in town, playing out there weekly at the beacon of the table tennis club, we now have some of the top youth players in the nation playing table tennis here in South Bend. I, I did not know that until recently. Um, did you know that John Adams High School, a South Bend public school, has won 18 of the last 20 state mock trial championships, including two national championships during that time. Did you know that last week, uh, actually I think this week or last week, uh, there was an article in the paper that the city and Notre Dame are working together uh, in these tests to, to possibly release the next generation of Wi-Fi technology that will use drones flying talking to each other to get the job done, right? And if that happens, it will put us at the forefront of the top technology cities in the country. Man, there's so much surprising goodness going on in the city. May we have the vision to see it. Sometimes it's hard to love our city because we've lost the ability to see those surprising goodness. May we be a church that has the eyes to see it. Loving our city will be allowing ourselves to be transformed by God first into people who are good neighbors. The challenge is in our hearts. And as he transforms us into good neighbors, then we can start turning our eyes and our hearts to our neighborhood, both the people we live near, or if our neighborhood's our workplace, or if our neighborhood's our school, who are the people that our lives come into contact with that as we are able to see them differently, as we are able to draw near to them, as God works in our hearts, who are the people in our neighborhoods that we can see, experience the goodness of God's surprising love? And then from there, looking broadly to our city as a whole, recognizing that there's people that we would normally never come across just a natural way we go about life. Maybe there's people who have been pushed aside 
by others or by systems for too long. They've been outcast and set aside. How do we say, how do we love our city and go out and intentionally draw near to those people so that we are people who love all of the city with the goodness of God? All right, this is something that I'm really excited to talk about. We have a small, in some ways, but big in other ways, action step for us, just talking about how can we be people who see our city and love our city well? How can we be people with a great vision for all the goodness going on? How can we participate in it? How can we draw near to all sorts of different people and build relationships and get to live life? Uh, So there's this thing coming up in the city called Best Week Ever. Have you guys heard of that? Yeah, a little bit? All right. Well, hopefully you're going to hear a lot more about it, all right? So Best Week Ever is coming up. It is a festival that is going to celebrate the awesomeness of South Bend and is coming up. The official dates are May 29th to June 4th, uh, which is more commonly known as the week of Memorial Day. So Memorial Day starts that on Monday. Saturday is the sunburst. Uh, If you guys are runners, uh, Saturday is sunburst at the end of that week. And so that is Best Week Ever, and it's a celebration of everything that is great about our city. In this festival, instead of the city doing everything themselves, and uh, what they're doing is they're going to do a lot of of, um, cool events, and then they're asking for all of the creativity of the people in the city to come together and fill it out with all sorts of awesomeness. Okay, so that's something that we want to really be a part of. Um, So there's three ways that we're going to participate in this best week ever. One way is just individually, we're going to encourage all of us to be there and do stuff. Okay, it's very simple. Be there, do stuff. All right, so all sorts of events. There's going to be movie nights in the park, uh, the sunburst race, you could participate in that. There's going to be baseball games, there's going to be firework nights. Um, I'm forgetting half of them, right? There's, there's a festival out on the west side. Kara's in charge, she has all the information. Talk to her right afterwards. Uh, so go to these events. As you hear about them, as they're on the calendar, we encourage us as a church, we want to just be there so that we can see what's going on in the city. We can enjoy the city. We can be active in loving our city. Uh, so be there, do stuff. The second thing uh, we want to work towards is collective action, uh, specifically thinking about how we do things with our collective, our Facebook group. Quick plug, we have a Facebook group called The Collective, if you haven't heard of it, and it's a join me group. Hey, uh, me and some friends, we're going to do this. Join me as we do this. So some of these items are collective actions. Maybe you scheme with friends and you and some musician friends uh, get together and you play like on a corner outside the baseball stadium. Is that, is that a jam session? Is that what they, is that, do I sound more nerdy or less nerdy by saying that? No? Okay. Uh, So maybe you could do that. If you're like musically inclined, maybe you get you uh, and your family members or friends and you go out to the parade uh, on the west side on Monday morning, the Memorial Day parade, and maybe you set up a stand and just do face painting for free. Um, What are the things that you can do that you don't have to ask anybody for permission to do, that you just get people together and you say, hey, we're going to go do something awesome and be a part of the goodness and life of our city. So one is just be a part of the things already going on. Two is get some friends together or family together and think of cool stuff that you can do to show love and goodness to the city. And three, we're going to have two formal events that we do. Uh, The first is going to, we don't have a name, but it's going to be like a grace station. Uh, And we're going to be down by the river uh, outside of the movie event probably. 
and we're going to have rocks, and people are going to be able to write on those rocks uh, pain or regret or all sorts of things, and then just be able to cast them in the river. And it's just going to be a very simple step for people to be able to process the goodness and freedom that God brings in their life. So that will be one thing we do. Uh, but last uh, is probably my favorite. So we started brainstorming this last thing, realizing that uh, it would be great for us as a church to raise funds and raise awareness for basic human needs in the city. There's a lot of things going on, and we wanted to be a part of helping to contribute in that area. And so we say, okay, we want to raise funds, uh, and we want to raise awareness. So what can we uh, put alongside of that to make that happen? And we were sitting in our brainstorming meeting with, there was about 15 of us in there, and Rusty came up with this idea. Uh, he was like, hey, what if we do like the shortest, laziest run ever? And I was like... <laughs> Yes. So you've heard of like 5Ks and 10Ks. We're going to do like a less than 1K, okay? It's going to be called a sub-K. And uh, what we came to is it's going to be after the Sunburst race and before the 90s concert. I forgot to mention, there's a 90s concert, yeah. Uh, and before the 90s concert on that Saturday, we're going to do uh, the Belly Burst Sub-K race, which, which is a run for people who hate running. Right? And as, as soon as this idea came up, it was crazy in the room. Like, ideas started flying, like, one right after another. It was like, people, we were made for this, right? <laughs> this is our time. This is our moment. Okay, so this is going to be like, picture you're running along the shortest race ever, and there's plenty of, like, rest stops with, like, hammocks and, like, chairs to sit down to, like, take naps in, right? Or you're running along, and, and you know instead of needing, like, a pick-me-up Gatorade, you need a donut, like, along the way, right? <laughs> Like, we're going to do this thing right, okay? So we're going to have the Belly Burst Sub-K, and it's going to be on that Saturday, and it's going to be awesome. So next steps for us is, uh, one, reserve the date in your calendar, Saturday, June 3rd, because it would be great for you to be uh, running in the, in the run, or it would be great for you to be serving with registration or crowd control or all sorts of stuff that's going on. So go ahead and reserve that date on your calendar. Also, we will have planning teams that we will be putting together. We will need business sponsors. So if you know uh, any businesses that would be great sponsors for the event, uh, let us know that as well. Uh, and then on the collective, on Facebook, on the collective, we will be posting opportunities to join into those events. Or if you're not on Facebook, you can talk to me or email me, and we will get you involved. But it's going to be a whirlwind of fun, a whirlwind of planning to get this thing going, and we're going to have a great time. Uh, just being a part of our city on that day. So, Belly Burst Sub-K coming soon, June 3rd. All right, uh, go ahead and stand as we close tonight. Our city is pretty wonderful, but we are all people with stories and challenges that affect how we see other people's stories and challenges. May we be a church that uh, sees God's goodness and takes it to others. Let me pray this over you as you go. May you go blessed by the goodness of God. May you go transformed and transforming into a good neighbor. And may you go as a blessing to those you come in contact with in our city. Grace and peace be with you. Have a good night.